Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Tech Talk this lovely uh, rainy Friday morning. I've got three really interesting guests uh, today, and, and we're sort of outside of our normal comfort zone of tech. This is really kind of a mix between tech, media, and government civic, I suppose. So I'm going to go around and introduce everyone, and then we're going to get started. So first, we've got Tiara Zollners and Roshana Novellis from Enrich Her. Hi, thank hey. you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank Good you guys morning. for being here. Uh, then we've got John Adcox from Grammary Media. Grammary, Grammary Media. And then we've got uh, Noelle London from Invest Atlanta. Hey, thanks for having us. Great. Okay, so we're going to start with Enrich Her. Uh, so Tiara and Roshana, you two are co-founders of Enrich Her, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay, so uh, one of you tell me what your mission is. So our mission is to empower women-led businesses with the capital, resources, and network they need to scale their business. Okay. Um, obviously, a, a big need as we see many more women entrepreneurs kind of get into starting their own businesses. So what was the issue that you saw in the marketplace that you thought this was worth actually risking everything and starting a company for? Great question. Actually, the uh Capital that is available for women-led businesses only equates to about 2% of the overall demand. And not only this, women put $250 billion a year on credit cards because they don't have access to affordable capital. And the lenders that will lend to women-led businesses are the equivalent of hard money lenders or predatory lenders. So we knew that we had to do something about this because Women grow businesses at 1,800 businesses per day in the U.S. alone, and we deserve affordable and non-dilutive access to capital. Okay, so so essentially the majority of funding for women right now is at a very high interest rate, whether you're talking about credit card debt, whether you're talking about hard money lenders. So what, what's the issue? Do we just live in a sexist society? Uh, has it just been this way forever, and it's just taking too long to change? I mean, it's a combination of a lot of things, but I think the root cause of it all is just, to be very blunt, it's just financial discrimination. I mean, it, back until I think it was like 1988, a woman couldn't get a loan without having a male present. A male co-signer. So like the first woman who graduated from Harvard MBA had to bring her 14-year-old son in 1988 to qualify for a business loan. And... 1880, 1988 was not that long ago, and a lot of the, these people who are working in the financial landscape are still working in there today. And so there needs to be a lot of innovation to encourage women who have a history of being better stewards of capital, uh, repaying loans at a higher rate. And so we are here to empower millions of women in this country uh, by what we're doing. Right. And most of these women we're targeting already been in business for years. They already have clients. Uh, they're already making revenue. So this is not donation by any means. These are sustainable businesses. 1988. Yes. That is unbelievable. I know. Okay. Well, so has anything gotten better since 1988? I mean, things have gotten better in regards to women being able to get capital, but it's at the rate. So it's like you shouldn't have to risk it all in order to start a business. So I just think 60% um, interest is way too high. And some people do that because that's the only option. Six zero. Six yes. zero. Yes, six zero. Not yeah. one six. Six right. zero. Mm -hmm. So the first customer that we were able to finance, uh, she had one point two million in revenue. She had an IT consulting company, and she brought her revenue or cash flows to the bank, and no bank would fund her. In fact, she had to go to factoring, which uh, the factoring rates are cost ten percent per month for her invoices. Ten percent of her revenue to get the cash flow so that she can hire more employees to service some of these consulting contracts. So we are able to bring her into what we're doing and save her 70% on her cost of capital. And this is happening to highly qualified women everywhere and no one's really doing anything about it. It's and then, ridiculous. When you think about this, you can get 300,000, 500,000 to go to school, right? 
but you can't get that same money to start a business. It's really incredible when you think about the <laughs> sum of the all the value lost over years of repaying high interest rate as opposed to reaping profit. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell me, walk, walk me through how your platform works. Let's say that I am entrepreneur Josephine, and I have had a very hard time, um, you know, getting financing, even though my business is flourishing. I come to enrich her. What happens next? Good. So we have a pre-qualification process that's all online, and the qualification process will let you know what kind of lending options are best for you. You as an entrepreneur can decide which one um, that you want to pursue. We do all of the paperwork, do all the processing, and set you up for success. And then um, in as little as 48 hours or up to you know a longer period of time, you can get that financing. So right now we have up to 250000 uh, $250, per company that we're able to lend. And how are you vetting investments? So we do a whole screening process for each of the entrepreneurs. So not only do we look at their financials, we look at their use of funds, we actually do research on the companies. So who are their clients? Uh, What are their online reviews? What does their social influence look like? And so we create these packages for uh, lenders um, so that they can decide who to lend to. But we have two institutional lenders now that um, have given us, not given us, uh, imparted us with, $500 $500 million in capital, and all we need to do is find the women that meet their underwriting criteria, and they will lend to them. So we're really excited. We have this capital behind us that believes in us, and we're just encouraging any woman out there who meets this criteria to come find us and, and let us fund you. What is different about your financial partners than traditional lending institutions that are the reason that you exist? Right. So traditional lending institutions uh, require, let's say, three years in business. They require uh, the collateralization for the loans. We don't require collateral. Um, And uh, we have both... uh, accredited, non-accredited, and institutional uh, lender. So anyone in this room could lend to a woman on our platform. So we have a SEC and FINRA-approved platform that allows anyone in the country, given that they have qualified uh, investments, to be able to lend directly on our platform. So we're really opening up the landscape to lend, you know, no matter who you are, where you are. Interesting. So you're you're raising funds from you know, traditional financial institutions, but also sounds like there's a crowdfunding aspect to what you're doing. Exactly. So so let's say that I have $5,000 that I don't necessarily want to put in the stock market. I'd like to diversify and, um, you know, kind of uh, get a different rate of return. I could go to Enricher, give you those $5,000, and you fund your investor, yes. your um, clients. Yes, Great. invest. Okay. You, invest. you can invest, invest. not give. Yes. And you can invest. get that return, return <laughs> principal and interest return from lending to the women on our platform. Yes, so we are one of the few that's been approved in the entire country okay. since the Jobs Act to be able to do this. And I don't have to be an accredited investor to do that. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> what, what is the typical timeline for a, re- uh, a retail investor like myself to receive a return? Um, it's going to vary on the campaign, but probably about 30 days. So how the process would work, you would actually go on the website, look at the companies, decide which one you want to invest in, and then you invest. And then once that campaign is completely satisfied, then in 30 days, you would start being, getting repaid back. And does that repayment last for a period of time? Correct. Okay. Um, so on the, each campaign, you'll be able to see the terms, and the terms Got are it. either going to be six months or a year. So you're going to be paid back in full either in a year or six months. That's a pretty quick cash out. Correct. Interesting. Hmm. And so what percentage of your investors do you find come from the crowdfunding aspect of your business right now versus traditional lenders? It's hard to say that number because the institutional lenders have a lot more capital. Mm-hmm. So there are more people like that have signed up for crowdfunding, but our lenders have, you know, $200 million each that they can like deploy yeah. uh, on the platform. So what we're doing, uh, most people are actually a better fit for direct lending. So most of our um, funding has come from that side. But uh, we ch- definitely believe that one of the reasons that there is uh, such a discrepancy 
agency with access to capital is everyone doesn't have access to lend to these women. And so we're definitely on a mission to open it up for lenders, you know, across the country. And to add to that also depends on the company. So for example, if you need cash flow for your employees to buy inventory, then you might want to get that direct loan. But if you want to do crowdfunding, it's going to take time for you to market every day. And so it depends on the use of funds. So if you have a time frame where you don't need the money maybe 30 days out, then that would be a great way to go. But if you need it within a week, then that's not the right approach. Okay, that, that's definitely good clarification. And what is the average size check that you're generally writing to a business that you're funding? Um, the range is between 25 all the way up to 250000 We can go higher, but it, certain things have to be in play in order for us to go higher. Okay. And in the so right right now this is a debt platform. In the future, is there any thought of um, adding equity to the mix, or is this always going to be debt? Always going to be debt at this point. Um, a lot of women don't want to give up ownership, mm-hmm. and there's also a lot of other platforms that do equity. And from the research that we've done, it's not always a good idea. Right. And we're focusing on the women that are typically excluded from angel and VC consideration, which is 99% of all businesses. So right now, to your point earlier, people are more aware of the problem that women face when getting investment capital, but they're really only focused on the high growth company side, which is less than 1%. And so we're focusing on the larger market. And for those reasons, we want to really focus on the debt side. Got it. Yeah, uh, look, that that obviously makes sense. You have found opportunity in an area where typical um, you know institutional investors have found none, um, and that certainly opens the universe for you. Correct. So, how do how, how are women out there who are struggling getting access to capital find out about you? So in a variety of ways. So we love our network, which is a combination of in-person events and online events. We have our Richard Spark conferences. We started those in here in Atlanta, moved those to D.C. and moving those nationwide. We also have an online community, and we've been able to engage with over 19,000 people since we've launched. Secondly, we have partnerships with a lot of amazing organizations such as Women in Tech, Women 2.0, Founders of Color, Start Out, and the list goes on. And what these organizations are doing are sending us uh, their community members who are well qualified that they're unable to fund. More than uh, organizations that um, support women, we also have partnered with some VC funds and angel groups like Jane VC, Ad Astra, um, the Jump Fund, who are sending us us uh, applications that they receive from companies that are not high growth, right? They do these high calls for application. Hey, do you want this $50,000, $100,000 investment? Yet 2% have high growth companies. Uh, the last type of partnership we have is through other uh, SaaS platforms that focus on the women-led business out there. So they're there are SaaS platforms that focus on the spa industry, fitness, and healthcare, and we're partnering with them as well. So we have a lot of outreach out there in the market, and we're happy to say since we launched in January of this year, we've received over 500 applications from women-led businesses in this country. So we're just really, really excited about what we're doing, and we're, we're, we're hopeful and grateful to move on and to scale in the way that we envision. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, yeah, if I read correctly, you got accepted into the Techstars program. Yes, we yes. are currently in Techstars. Yeah. The last week is next week. It will be in New York. So we're heading out Monday morning. Um, but Techstars has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, I, I've seen Atlanta's uh, tech scene and entrepreneurial scene grow um, both in size and I think maturity over the last five to 10 years. And Techstars, I think, is really a great indicator of that. It really has become such a, um, you know, it's become a great mark on your resume um, and a really in, in indication that you're doing something great. So why has that program been great for Enricher? Many reasons. So number one, we were accepted into Techstars Anywhere, which is the most difficult um, program to get into of all of Techstars. And why that is, is it's a mostly virtual program. So imagine all the entrepreneurs out there who can't move, who have families who are actual real adults that can't pick up (laughs) and move. So it has more applications than any any program. And so the in the in-person weeks, we're able to split our time between three ecosystems. So we start 
started in LA, then moved to Boulder, Colorado. And like I said, we're ending in New York. And having the exposure to these, these ecosystems has helped us tremendously. Moreover, the mentor network is phenomenal. So uh, we have mentors from all over the country. So week two and week three of their program, we had 64 video calls with people like Moisey, one of the founders of Digital Ocean that has a billion dollar company, um, and other like amazing people like that from all over the country who really are invested in us and our success and our growth. So their network really wants to help and they are, and they are actively thinking of ways that they can open up their network to help you. So it's been phenomenal. So you've gotten access to see all these different cities and their entrepreneurial and technology ecosystems. What is special about Atlanta and what does Atlanta have to learn from everywhere else in the country? Hmm, that's a deep question. Um, I would say what Atlanta has to learn is how to have more unity and be more progressive in terms of working together and having more strategy and being innovative and being open to change and being progressive. And to give you an example, um, for example, when you're an entrepreneur and you're raising your seed round, a lot of times in the South, they want you to start with this, this amount of money that is really not enough to scale. So like if you go to the West Coast, they say you need about $2 million in seed money to move forward. In Atlanta, they'll say half a million. Now just think about in terms of a competitive advantage. Your company A receives half a million, company B receives $2 million. Who has an advantage? Probably the one with four times greater funds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I would say that's the first thing. Um, in terms of what I like about Atlanta is the quality of life. In order to be an entrepreneur, you do have to have um, a sense of balance, and it's not too much of a hustle and bustle feel here. So for me, I think it is great. Right. You want to elaborate on that? Yeah, and Atlanta has a lot of different places that people can go, whether you want to be, uh, you know, affiliated with a tech ecosystem, a women-focused ecosystem, or a diverse ecosystem. There are a lot of options to choose from, and I think Atlanta is a leader um, in that on that side of the equation. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised to hear you mention the um – not just the access to funding, but also the smaller check size in Atlanta. I think if that's one, if there's one area I could choose where we really have to grow, um, you know, great companies here should not have to go to the West Coast to raise money. You yeah, should be yeah. able to do it in your backyard. And it's certainly gotten better in the last decade, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be, unfortunately. Right. And um, just to add to Tierra's point, the uh uh, the openness for people in Atlanta to open their network to people who can help you. So I can't tell you the number of people who've helped us that don't reside here. So this person said, hey, I know the owner of this magazine. I'm going to call them, yeah. ask them to put an ad about Enricher in the magazine. I'm going to do that for you. Like people have been offering to do stuff like that, whereas we haven't really gotten that same support here. And we, we welcome it. So anyone who's listening <laughs> yeah. who wants to trump any of the support that we've had so far here in Atlanta, <laughs> we love to accept it. I love that call to action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so you, you've been live for a brief amount of time. You've had a lot of success in that amount of time. But so obviously, you're looking to scale this. You're looking to get many more businesses who are looking for funds on there. So what is your plan as you scale? Like, how can your staff review every single application that comes in in a really detailed um, manner? Yeah, so um, my doctorate uh, focused in machine learning, and uh, what we're doing is collecting the data from all of these applications to inform this automated uh, credit model uh, algorithm that we're developing. So the idea is as we collect more data and as we continue to test the risk uh, by these models, that we'll have an automated uh, platform and an automated risk scoring system. Clearly, we're also like having a human, like, you know, put their two cents in, but this will greatly uh, speed up uh, this process. What is the timeline for getting this technology application off the ground? So our goal is to start um, this year, um, but the more data you have, the, the more robust this kind of model is. So as long as we get our seed round in, uh, we'll be able to do a lot more in terms of like expanding more of our team and, and having this, this technical model being deployed. And just to add to what she's saying, what we're doing is really game changing. Like the innovation and the technology that's used now is from like 40 years ago. 
So if you're using, you know, this financial model from 40 years ago, you're missing out on a lot of opportunity to actually be repaid at a higher rate. So, and then also the fact that we can license this technology. So it's just a great way for our, our world to become better in terms of more people yeah. having access to capital. So for the next 12 months, are the two big goals seed round and perfecting the machine learning technology? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you want our listeners to know? Um, and also, how can they get in touch with you if this sparks their interest? Yeah, so if you're a woman that has at least 50000 in revenue, has been in business for at least a year, please come apply to receive funding on our website. You can find us at iEnrichHer.com. And you can find us at iEnrichHer on all social media platforms. Great. Thank you guys so much for joining. Thank you for having us. Okay, so next up we've got John Adcox with uh, Grammarie Media. John, how you doing? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So you, you sit at the intersection of tech and media, which are both very hot topics in Atlanta these days. Yes, we do. And, and you, um, you know, I think when most people think of media, they probably think of New York or Los Angeles. You have been in media your whole career and you've been in Atlanta. I have. I was in uh, digital media. Um, mostly marketing and e-learning for many years and um, had this wacky idea right about the time that Atlanta was becoming the number one destination for film and television in the world. But a little bit of civic pride here, if Atlanta's going to maintain that lead, eventually content has to be owned and developed here or um, it'll go away. And so what is Grammary Media grammar excuse me you're you're I, close enough yeah i i can't be the only one who confuses it right you are not okay good at least i'm not alone so what is the idea behind the platform that allows content to be to be developed here in atlanta well that's going to take the 15 minutes um by and large we um, that's the point we have a platform for um mitigating the risk of original content that has the dna to become a blockbuster franchise across media channels And uh, being in Atlanta, once we've discovered um, a property that has that potential and vetted a proven audience, we can produce at a dramatically lower cost. We use sort of a perfect storm of technology. We have a new way to shoot. We um, also have the most generous tax credits, I think, on the planet, or at least really high up on the list. And also the beauty of the opportunity zone credit. So when you combine all of those, we can shoot at less than half the cost and sometimes less than that. And then uh, we'll control distribution to 90% of the world markets to brick-and-mortar theaters as well as streaming. Okay, so so let's say that one night I'm sitting watching Netflix. Um, I'm watching the first several seasons of House of Cards, okay, the ones that were really good before it kind of went a little bit downhill. And um, I'm saying to myself, I have an idea for something just as good, if not better than this, that I think could take on the world and be just as big as this is, okay? So I come to you, John, and Grammarie Media. What happens next? We have a pretty narrow focus. Um, okay. We're starting with unpublished book manuscripts okay. that, again, have that DNA to um, become a blockbuster franchise. What we, we went through an incubator um, at Georgia Tech, um, Flashpoint, which is um, one of the most successful on the planet, and it's been a game changer for us. Um, in fact, it, it led to the idea uh, we ourselves are an incubator. Um, if you think about um, businesses, you guys have heard this stat before. Only about 10% of all startups succeed. I've actually heard it's 1%, but 10% is what I can document. But more than 80% of the ones that go through accredited accelerators succeed. That's a pretty big jump. It's the whole idea of rigorous process for reliable innovation. Stories are also innovated. And they, too, can be innovated reliably. So we take these unpublished book manuscripts. We spend a year elevating them using a process that's, a, that's very similar to what we went through at Georgia Tech. And then um, we, we also use a little bit of Pixar story development methodology. While we're doing that, we're, we're polishing that manuscript. But we also have a couple other things going on. One, we're preparing that manuscript for adaptation, which would include a budget, a treatment, attachments, maybe even a script, and um, also working with that author to train them to be an entrepreneur, to treat their story like a business, to um, eventually be able to act as a showrunner, metaphorically, to shepherd the development of that property across different media channels. 
so that um, we can protect the heart and integrity of that story without being overly precious about the details. And, and that's a skill. At the end of that process, we published the books, both as a regular hardcover book that you can find at Barnes & Noble or wherever, or your local independent, and uh, also as what we call ebook 2.0. And if you buy the hardcover, you can download the enhanced version for free or buy it separately. It um, is layered with magic. It's, it's meant to come alive. It feels like a book from the library at Hogwarts. And all of these layers of interactivity give the user a sense of falling into that story and being a part of it. But it also, there, there's elements of gameplay. There's forums where they can network and, and grow a community. They can share uh, through social media. And we can track that viral spread of brand awareness. All of this enables us to watch and see if a community is forming around that stories. And we have Dragon Con here. While we were doing our research at Flashpoint, we went to um, one of the Harry Potter pub crawls, which is uh, where all these great kids um, paid money to go to bars that are open. Uh, and there were thousands of them in, in costume. It was amazing. But these communities form around stories, and they mean something to these audiences. And when those communities form, they're worth billions. Our job is to find, nurture, and measure those communities before we shoot a single frame of film. So we know there's an audience before we move forward. If you were starting a studio sort of from the ground up in the old way, you'd start with about a 10 to $50 million development fee. That's a sunk cost. It basically just goes away and has to be amateurized against the films that are actually made, which is actually important. Hollywood will spend anywhere from $1 to $20 million on movies they don't actually make. We cannot make a movie for less than that. So we're instead of starting with that $50 million hole, we're starting back at zero because we're generating revenue during the incubation process. So we, we're back at zero plus about a 20 to 30% return, which is great, but what's priceless is we have this, this wealth of data that's direct observational data, not voodoo predictive analytics. So you're able to predict, rightfully so, um, in an educated manner, whether a story is going to catch on in a different medium before you even start producing. Exactly so. Each one of these books is a MVP, a minimum viable product, for a motion picture. So we're failing fast and cheap rather than spending $80 million to fail. You know, your comment on the economics is interesting. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day. I think it might have been a Planet Money talking about the economics of um, the film and uh, TV industry. And uh, the interviewer was paraphrasing a quote from one of the studio heads, which went unnamed. And the question, the, the joke was, how do you make $10 billion in Hollywood um, and no, excuse me. It was how do you make one billion dollars in Hollywood? Spend ten billion. Just talking about the enormous amount of waste in the industry. That's a huge part of it for us. Um, when we shoot, we are using volumetric capture, which is um, a big room surrounded by cameras. The beauty of that is we get a complete three sixty image of everything we're shooting, so we get every possible camera angle at the same time. So the number of takes is decreased dramatically. But we have a complete 360 image. So for home release, we have AR and VR already captured. We have assets that we can reuse for console and casual games. We can even 3D print action figures. But to me, the cool part is when the director says cut, we can shoo off the American cast and bring in the Chinese cast or the French cast or the Indian cast, what have you, and get native language, culturally specific versions of the same content for the same below-the-line cost. Now, the above-the-line cost, the actors and such, will increase because we're using different casts, but that's not a very significant cost. Um, so for the one below-the-line cost, we're generating all these different revenue streams, which would be impossible in Hollywood because all these areas have their own silos and their own budgets with a great incentive to protect them. There's no incentive for them to um, eliminate those silos. We don't have that overhead. So we can move much more aggressively and effectively. So your initial input to the entire process are these unpublished book manuscripts. How right. do you source those? We have a very, very specific list of criteria we're looking for in a book manuscript. This is something that we came up with at Flashpoint. We looked at um, successes, franchises that were popular for seven years or more. Um, everything from MASH and the Mary Tyler Moore Show to Star Trek and Star Wars and Harry Potter. And tried to find things they had in common. And then, of course, we realized our mistake. We'd only looked at successes, so that's survivor bias. So we had to go back 
and look at failures and near misses. So putting all that together, we came up with like 57 criteria points we're looking for in these book manuscripts. Now, every literary agent on the planet has about, and this is no hyperbole, 50,000 manuscripts on their desk. We actually toured one who had a giant conference room that was literally filled with unopened manuscripts, which is funny because most of them come electronically through email. Um, of those 50,000, you know, half of them are probably unpublishable. But of the remaining ones, there's maybe 100 that will meet our criteria. So we'll get the agents to, to screen them for us. We'll take, we'll take direct submissions too. But by and large, most of them will come from the agents. They'll be pre-screened. Um, right now, we're reading them individually and choosing 12 of, 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 those, of those 100 or so. Eventually, we'll have machine learning. Um, right now, we just don't have enough data sets to, to, to fill in. But even then, we, st we still want to be sure that these are stories that we have passion for personally. And we have a very, very deep bench, both from traditional film and traditional publishing, to help us select. So this is interesting. You, you, you are almost having the same opportunity and issue that Enricher is having. You have these, uh, in, in their um, case, it's business plans. In your case, it's unpublished book manuscripts that are coming your way. Right now, it's a manual process. But to truly get to scale, there has to be technology involved. Exactly so. So, or lots of interns. Right. So your access to these unpublished manuscripts that literary agents have, is it just via your own relationships, partnerships, um, and that, that sort of? Well, their job is to find publishers, and right. we are one. Um, Lou Aronica, our publishing partner, he's our editor-in-chief, has very, very deep relationships with authors, with writers groups and conventions, as well as the agents. He actually has, is one of the most awarded editors in, in history. He actually acquired four consecutive Hugo winners, which is absolutely unheard of. And since I'm a nerd, he also launched the Star Wars Extended Universe. He's not happy with that. I keep mentioning that. Um, he's more proud of the, of the awards. Well, you talked about both, so there yeah. you go. So um, he's got the access, and he's already found our, our first year's worth. Okay, so you have your first year's worth. Mm -hmm. What happens now? We have acquired two of them. Uh, we'll start working to acquire the rest of them uh, when we're fully funded. Um, we'll start the incubation process, the technology building, the social media platforms, et cetera. Okay. Then we'll, we'll measure data, and some of them will produce as films. Okay. You mentioned fully funded. Right. Talk to us about that. We, um, we are in the midst of um, what we have recently discovered was the largest seed round in history. Um, I can say with all sincerity, I was sleeping a lot better before I knew that. Um, but we're getting a, a lot of love. We're actually in, in diligence with two very large and a couple of smaller funds now. Um, diligence for these funds takes anywhere from 30 to 90 days, and we're on day about 22, I think. So it's going really well. We're very excited. Um, it is, it's not fully subscribed yet. So um, on our website, there, there's information. We did a, um, a security token offering that's a little bit different in that each token represents a share of preferred stock. So we didn't have to worry about any new regulations coming out because we've been regulated for 87 years. The only difference between this and, and a normal share of preferred stock is that it's more liquid. Normally, when you invest in a startup, it's seven to 10 years before you can hope to get your money out. Um, this way, it's a year or two when the tokens will be tradable. So once you're fully subscribed, you're done with diligence. What do you use the money for? That's a long question. Um, 10 million of it is going to um, incubating titles that let's just incubate about 150 over um, 10 or 12 years. And um, according to our financials, it should generate over a billion dollars in revenue just in, in discovery and development before we make a single film. We'll also be building out our own studio because the technology we're using, and frankly, all the studios here are full um, we'll be moving into production and a large chunk of it is going to secure our, our own distribution engine so that we can um, be sure that all of our films get on screens in brick and mortar theaters, which is really huge for us. It's the rarest commodity in entertainment. Um, thousands of films are financed and completed every year that never see audiences. That'll never be a problem for us. Okay, so we, we mentioned at the beginning of the segment that you have been in digital media most of your life. Correct. Okay. So ha you, you're in digital media, you're going along, you know, your day, um, and something sparks 
and you realize that this is an issue, okay? So how has everything that you've done in digital media prepared you for this point to transition um, to the next phase of your career? A large part of it for me has been audience building. Every, one of our selection criteria is that everything we look at has a specific audience that already congregates somewhere. For example, one of the books that we've acquired all takes place at a Renaissance festival. When we did our digging, we found out, this is an old number, but in 2008, something like 10 million people went to a Renaissance fair somewhere in the country, twice. What? 10 million? 10 million went twice. So count the ones that go once a year, uh, the ones that go once every other years, the ones that went once and kind of liked it. It's a huge audience. And they congregate because we can advertise at Renaissance fairs. There's dozens of Facebook pages. There's two print magazines, dozens of online forums. It's an, it's an audience that we can market to very effectively for a price. And since they congregate, since there's already a community, they're more likely to share with their friends. And again, we can track that viral spread of brand awareness. That's a community. And that community has value. So... You know, we've we've been talking about Atlanta and the Atlanta ecosystem, which is something I always like to touch on in this show just because they're, Atlanta has issues, but there's a lot of great things happening in Atlanta right now. And I remember when we first spoke, you know, we talked about some of the great support that you've gotten from Metro Atlanta Chamber, from Invest Atlanta. So talk, talk to me about how those organizations have been good partners as you get, as you get this off the ground. Uh, they've been really great. Um Actually, I worked a lot with Invest Atlanta and joined their board for one of their entertainment programs. And um, a large part of what we're doing is finding land for a studio. Invest Atlanta and the Metro Chamber have been absolutely amazing for that. The introductions we've gotten from the Metro Atlanta Chamber have been huge to us. Um, the support we've gotten here is great. And that's not even mentioning um, Georgia Tech, which again has been golden to us. I don't think we would have learned enough to make this work without Georgia Tech's help. So you, so okay. I I think when some people look at the um, the film industry that is developing in Atlanta and Georgia at large, there are some people who are maybe a little bit cynical about it and say, "Oh, well, you know, you really only have this because of the tax credit, right?" And what? Well, no argument. Right. Okay. And 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 certainly there is some truth to that, right? Would this have developed without that tax credit? No, probably not. No. Okay. So we have this great financial incentive. Okay, how do we develop talent and culture and a base of um, devotees long term so that this industry is not just dependent upon that tax credit? Well, right now, um, not to be politically incorrect, but we're sort of the Chinese or Mexican factory where labor is outsourced because it's cheap. Eventually, we need to own the development, the content here. We need a studio based here. And that's our job. Um, beyond that, what the um, Georgia Film Academy is doing is amazing as far as developing a crew base and eventually um, developing above-the-line talent, directors, writers, etc. Um, all the pieces are in place. We need momentum. The other thing we need is for Georgia investors to um, get behind it a bit more. And entertainment is, is complex. If you've invested in a film, you've probably lost money because investing in one film is like putting chips on one square at the roulette table. Um, you need to diversify, you need a system, and frankly, you need distribution. Bringing all those under one umbrella, I think, diversifies and, and makes the investment a lot more secure. And educating Georgia investors on that and how to make intelligent choices and not just to fall in love with one script or one actor or whatever is something that we need to get behind and work on. And um, maybe that's something we can partner with Invest Atlanta and the Chamber on. But uh, it's something that needs to happen. You know, I, I think for, for so long, so much of the true wealth in this city has been made on real estate. Um, and as we transition to an era where um, we are really firing in all cinders, cylinders from uh, technological development, where media is really um, doing great in this atmosphere, I think we, we need more of those success stories because people who invest in real estate, and obviously this is coming from someone who is in the real estate industry, they see their investments very, very differently than what is required to properly evaluate um, an investment in technology or in media. And so hopefully the more success that we have there will just breed uh, you know, more, more success, you know, more exits we have, more people who get rich will understand what it really takes to fund those industries. I think that's right. Um there's a lot of ways in which entertainment is like real estate. 
there's a lot of ways in which our methodology specifically is like technology, but it's not exactly like it. It's something that it's something that's new. It has the potential to be bigger, as long as you make a safe choice and diversify. Yeah. Um, so I saw that you guys. Uh, I don't know if it was early this year or late last year, but you made the list of uh, top forty uh, innovative companies in, in Georgia. That was this year. Um, thank you, um, Tag Technology Association of Georgia. We were one of the forty most innovative companies in Georgia. I'm very proud of that. Now, what, what's even more amazing about that is like you really haven't launched yet. Yeah, um, I, I mean, like, I mean, yes, you have, but at the end of the day, you're very early on. No, we are a startup. Yeah, and we're we're definitely pre-revenue. But I think the idea is very strong. Um, we talk a lot about the audacity uh, of being in a position to disrupt the Hollywood studio model. But I genuinely believe that, and we know it's right for disruption because lots of Hollywood executives told us so. By the way, that's a great lesson for startups out there. If you're looking to disrupt an industry, the people you're trying to disrupt are not your enemy. In fact, they can be your best friend because it's their headaches you're solving. And that was certainly the case for us. In fact, um, a couple of them joined our team. Good lesson. Um, okay, so John, if this has resonated with anyone listening, how do they learn more about you and Grammarly Media? We have a website. It's Grammarly, G-R-A-M-A-R-Y-E, media, M-E-D-I-A, dot com, C-O-M, um, or grammarymedia.com slash invest. Or you can email me, John, J-O-H-N, at G-R-A-M-A-R-Y-E-M-E-D-I-A dot com. Perfect. All right. We look forward to seeing what you guys do next. Okay, and finally, we have Noelle London with Invest Atlanta. This is great. I've been wanting to comment on a lot of things so far <laughs> between Grammarie and Enrich her. So um, thanks I, for having us. I, I've noticed you over there very um, patiently taking notes and sort of holding your tongue. <laughs> um, so does Invest Atlanta consider itself a government organization, a civic organization, all in one? Great question. So yeah. um, Invest Atlanta, we're the economic development authority for the city of Atlanta. So um, we're quasi-governmental. The mayor, um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, chairs our board, um, and city council allocates our funding. So we call ourselves a quasi-governmental organization. Okay. And I feel like, um, unfortunately, I think that a lot of people have um, probably a poor view of Invest Atlanta because they only hear about Invest Atlanta when a real estate developer gets a large tax abatement for a project. That's that's what you read about in the newspaper is a lot about um, real estate and and some of the um, you know larger incentive deals that we do. The reality is that Invest Atlanta really just touches so many different parts of the city, and we do so many different things. I think if you have received down payment assistance for buying your first home, that might be the one thing you think that we do. If you've received a loan from Invest Atlanta to start your small business, you might think that that's what we do. Um, but the reality is we just touch so many different things. Um, what's unique about Invest Atlanta is that we have community development and economic development under one roof. So on community development, we're doing things like affordable housing financing, um, you know, uh, down payment assistance, real estate, and then on economic development, um, while we are touching those big real estate deals on our business attraction team, we also have folks on the team focused on um, business retention and expansion. Uh, we have a small business team and then uh, I lead our innovation entrepreneurship efforts. And you came from um, working in entrepreneurship in D.C., correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So if, if anyone has heard of, I think you worked at 1776, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Okay. So for anyone out there who doesn't know what that is, talk a little bit about 1776 and how that informed your move to Invest Atlanta. Sure. Um, so it's been a long winding road anywhere from starting in Nicaragua and working with entrepreneurs to kind of being on the academic side. Um, I ended up at 1776 um, when I went to 1776 Global Incubator and Seed Fund. Um, and then over the course of um, the time we were there, we did some expansions into new markets. But ultimately, um, 1776 became Union, which was a software tool and a SaaS tool. So if you are an entrepreneur in um, Nairobi and you want to connect with mentors in Silicon Valley, um, that no matter where you are, democratizing access to, on, uh, to mentorship. So um, that product is actually now used by um, Techstars. So um, Enrich Her may have 
seen that at some point. So, um, you know, that was a wonderful opportunity just to really understand, you know, what are the challenges that entrepreneurs are facing as they're building their companies um, and where there's some areas um, that we can support. So um, ended up with this amazing opportunity to come down to Atlanta to be a part of, um, you know, I think helping to build the ecosystem, working with some of these great entrepreneurs in the room. Um, and so, you know, that that ultimately allowed me to to come down to Atlanta. And so what are you doing on a daily basis? So what we do on a daily basis um, with innovation entrepreneurship over the past year and a half or so, um, we've really been trying to understand as the economic development organization, how should we be supporting building out our tech ecosystem? Uh, a lot of times when you hear about economic development, you hear about these incentives, these investment dollars that um, are coming into the city. Um, but we, I think, understand that we've really got to be investing in our tech startups. We've really got to be investing in these small businesses because they are the future um, of building building the next big business in Atlanta. So, um, you know, with that being said, um, coming into Invest Atlanta, we did a lot of customer discovery with our entrepreneurs and found that a lot of the challenges um, to building a business are not unique to Atlanta. They're the same challenges that entrepreneurs were facing in DC, gaps around um, funding, access to customers, access to tech talent. Um, you know, we've got some great, um, early stage and we've got some great capacity building programs here in Atlanta. I think we have over 26 at this point of um, incubator accelerator type programs. Um, but a lot of what we do is wanting to make sure that the entrepreneurs that are in the city feel supported by the city. So um, as you're graduating from these incubator accelerator programs, we want to be that next step and we want to help you as you continue to build your company here. So a lot of what every day looks like is um, meeting with the entrepreneurs that are in the city um, and helping them to understand, you know, is there business assistance we can provide some either financing, helping them find new locations, helping them navigate the ecosystem. And then a lot of the other part of um, the day is spent on some of the programs that we've developed over the past year and a half um, around access to funding customers and tech talent. So are you, do you see yourselves as an alternative to the VC route um, for early stage technology companies or you are an, a, in addition to or potentially before that not stage. A, yeah, so not at all. I think that I wouldn't say that we're an alternative. What I would say is we've got some great folks within the ecosystem doing excellent work to help build our startup companies. We are not trying to, you know, replace any of that. But what I would say is we do want to try and fill some gaps within the ecosystem. So for example, um, we have a small business lending program at Invest Atlanta. Um, we've got a program that now, if you've gone through an early stage capacity building program, you can qualify for a five to 20K loan. Um, the 2% two, 2 repayment, uh, excuse me, 2% interest um, over three years of repayment. So for example, we're not necessarily saying we are the alternative, but what we wanna do is just provide additional tools. So mm -hmm. if that's the right decision, for your company, as you're growing, we want to have a toolkit that's robust so that you can continue to grow your business here. Additional options for people just that may not feel they fit into one particular bucket. Absolutely. And then also, as an entrepreneur, your head's down. You're building your company every day. I think, you know, if you're graduating from one program here in Atlanta, you may be looking at, okay, what's next? What are the other resources that are here in the ecosystem? Um, so we're here to help navigate and almost be a concierge through the different assets that we have locally. You were okay. So you've been in Atlanta's um, entrepreneurial ecosystem. You've been in DC's entrepreneurial ecosystem. What are what is DC doing better than us, and what are we doing better than DC? So I think going back to, I wouldn't necessarily say that you know our chat challenges are going to be different. I think those entrepreneurs in DC were still dealing with issues around access to funding customers and talent. Um, what I would say about Atlanta, um, being in Atlanta for a year and a half, I still like to call myself new and people are telling me I can't do that anymore. Um, but what I would say is, um, you know, within Atlanta, I've just been so impressed over the past year and a half of the amount of collaboration that's within the ecosystem. I think, you know, it, knowing that, um, 
you know, um, John was saying, t- working with the Metro Atlanta Chamber, between the Metro Atlanta Chamber, ourselves, TAG, Startup Atlanta, the university system, I think that we've got a lot of groups here to help to support you as you're growing and helping you with navigating resources. Um, I also will say, coming from D.C., cost of living, um, that's a dramatic improvement. And, um, you know, an entrepreneur being able to save $1,000 on, on rent a month, that can go towards building your company. And I think that that is um, is helpful. I would also just say the connectivity. So being next to our airport and if you are fundraising and um, you all are going up to um, Techstars in New York next week, being able to get on a plane at lunchtime, go up, have your meetings and come back by dinner time is pretty impressive. So um, those three pieces in particular, I think, um, make it an especially compelling place to build a company. I, th- I think that makes sense. I mean, one of the things that I've been impressed with in Atlanta is, um, and I actually, so I lived in D.C. before I came back down to Atlanta as well, and I think the ability to kind of raise your hand and get in- involved here without really any, um, I mean, look, obviously, yes, you need to be a you know friendly, competent person, but... Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's not like you need some deep background or a last name that means something. If you really want to get involved, whether it's civically, whether it's in the business world, you know, it, it, it generally does not take as much in, I think, as it would in a place like a New York or a D.C. Um, I also think that, again, if you have just a little bit of competence and confidence, it's extremely easy to get people to meet with you here. Um, I think because so many people are transplants. Um, they kind of remember what it was like for them when they were first new to the city. And I, I do think there is a little bit more of a giving um, atmosphere in Atlanta on that front as well. So that's good. That's good to hear that you've kind of thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Georgia likes to tout itself as, as a great place to do business, right? We see, you know, every single year it's we're number two or number four or number, number one. Number one for six years in a number row. Number one for six years in a row. Okay. So what? Why is that? Why are we doing so well on that front? I mean, I know you mentioned a couple things, access to the airport, um, openness, cost of living, but like you're involved in this stuff day to day, like beneath the surface, what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, a a lot of even what John was saying around um, the film and the tax credits, I mean, I think that the state has built an infrastructure and a toolkit, and those tools are working. So things like um, the film and and tax credits and bringing industry here, um, we're seeing that that's working. The the toolkits that we've been able to develop around things like the Atlanta Beltline, so um, tax allocation districts around the Atlanta Beltline, we're seeing that those tools are working because the east side is developing. And so... I think that um, we've got a very active um, economic development um, uh, you know, group here in the state. And so um, we've got an active de- economic development group. State of Georgia has done excellent work there. Um, there are all sorts of resources that um, the state of Georgia ha- has put forth. And sometimes I wonder whether um, s- startups and tech companies even know about that. But two things in particular that they're doing is they have centers of innovation all around the state. So um, if you are working in aerospace and have a drone company, there's an entire center that's set up to help to support you and to connect the industry. Um, so that's very impressive. The other thing is um, just the international presence that the state of Georgia has invested in. So um, if you are a company and you're interested in, um, there's a company that's a material science company here local to Atlanta, and they're doing some work in um, Taiwan, and they have a factory in Taiwan. And so there are offices that are set up with the state of Georgia around the world. So as you are a Georgia company and wanting to do international business, they're set up and, and they have the infrastructure to help to support you. So I think that, you know, the state has made tremendous investments in that way. And I think having, um, you know, strong focus on economic development has, has been really helpful for us. And yeah. also things like having favorable corporate income tax rates. <laughs> That is all nice as well. So you, you mentioned something that, that I think is an interesting point that, um, you know, sometimes businesses don't even know that these programs exist. And, and that's frankly why I do this show, because I don't think that um, the innovative early stage companies in Atlanta get enough um, publicity within people who want to learn more about what's going on with business in Atlanta. Um, so... This is probably something that you are dealing with on a day-to-day basis, right? You're looking for people to help. You're looking for people to come to you and seek that help. 
how, other than Noel going out to have coffee with people, how is Invest Atlanta getting the word out about all these programs to people who could take advantage of them? Yeah, so one resource I and I completely hear you on that. I think that there are a lot of tips and tricks um, within the startup ecosystem. There are lots of resources that are here, free UX development, um, things like if you're a university student and interested, ATDC, you can participate in that programming at no cost. There are lots of those tips and tricks, and I understand it's it's difficult to find all of that. A resource that um, you know, we're quite involved in and find really helpful is Startup Atlanta. So Startup Atlanta puts together an ecosystem guide. Um, and in that ecosystem guide, you'll see, you know, these are the different blogs. These are the different um, uh, event series. These are the different, um, you know, incubators, accelerators, spaces that exist. And having that consolidated in one place is excellent. So, um, you know, Startup Atlanta is there to help you as an early stage startup to, you um, you know, explore those resources that are there. Um, and then, you know, with with us, I, I think that that is a lot of what we are doing as well. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, how to find us, we're, we're always available, but we oftentimes um, learn about companies and, and learn about who we should be supporting through some of these um community partners, incubators, accelerator groups. And then um, oftentimes now we're getting in front of companies because we've helped a company and they say are talking with another earlier stage company or growth stage company that oh. needs some support um, and say, you know, you should be talking to Invest Atlanta, you should be talking to Noel. So, um, you know, the there's a lot going on and I, I can't say that we can stay on top of all of it, but that's, I think, a good um a good challenge to have within our startup ecosystem just because we we really do have so much activity right now. Well, look, clear, clearly there is a network effect that comes with the work you're doing. Clearly there is sort of a virtuous cycle of you help one, they introduce you to another, they introduce you to two, and it just kind of snowballs from there. Um, so how do you see your role in innovation and entrepreneurship changing, morphing, enhancing in the next 12 months in Vest Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, over the past year and a half or so, um, you know, we came, we wanted to really focus in on, you know, what is our toolkit? How do we build out a toolkit um, for, for um, early stage and growth stage companies here in Atlanta? Um, I would say it, it's a blessing and a curse that because of some of those programs, um, you know, we are getting more companies coming to us around expansions, around attraction uh, projects. And so uh, we are working more with companies that are beginning to grow, but, um, you know, wanting to continue to scale and improve some of the programs that um, we have built out. Um, one of the programs I did want to talk about um, that we hope that Enrich Her will be a part of um, for this upcoming summer um, is a program we launched this past year called the Students to Startups program. And so um, I know I mentioned, you know, programs and, and really wanted to make sure that we got to talk about this just because as we've talked to more companies, as we're attracting companies to Atlanta, talent does continue to be a question that we get a lot about. Um, so, you know, how do I find this early stage talent? How do we train talent that's here? How do we keep talent here? Um, so so we launched this program um, a, about a year ago um, to uh, subsidize students, especially those from underrepresented backgrounds, to work for Atlanta-based startup companies. Um, so we fund them, we facilitate that match, and then we train them throughout. Um, so this past year, you know, we we saw a couple of full-time hires come out of that program, and we're back for year two. So um, hope to get companies like Enrich Her and other companies involved in that kind of programming. So you know, we'll continue those programs, but. But um, we are, you know, if you are a company that's growing, um, looking for additional resources, um, we look forward to continuing to support those and and building the brand of Atlanta startup ecosystem outside of Atlanta. I, I think that's fantastic. Um, it's I think you hear it across all different industries. I mean, even in real estate, you know, the old fashioned moniker used to be location, location, location. And now we have a lot of, um, you know, papers from our research department coming out that are, you know, half jokingly, but really half seriously saying, well, now you really have to change that to talent, 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 mm -hmm. that where a company chooses to locate and grow is truly all about the talent they have available. And of course, that makes sense. At the end of the day, a company is just, you know, a big you know, big room of a bunch of people and their skills. Right. Um, and so if if we are going to really solidify Atlanta's competitive advantage, 
you have to have talented people staying here. You cannot have, um, you know, amazing engineers going to Georgia Tech and then leaving for a job on the West Coast or the Northeast. They've got to keep that, uh, you know, we, the state of Georgia, made investment in their education. We should be able to reap that investment once they put that education into practice as they, uh, you know, enter the workplace. Right. Those decisions, um, and, and with economic development, those decisions around a startup and where you build a company, if you're in the West Coast and you know, you've raised a Series B, you're looking for your second office, we want Atlanta to be a part of that conversation. And it's not just around cheap real estate, and it's not just around you know smaller ecosystems attracting with incentive checks. It's, it's around the entire ecosystem that we're providing of support. It's around the talent piece. It's around the, you can get in front of corporate customers. It's around the um, you know, level of support that we're providing on top of that. So it's that's all very much a part of the decision. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because we we I've I personally and we as JLL have seen a lot of second offices from San Francisco based companies opening up in Atlanta, and uh, you know, okay, say so yes, we do have cheap real estate. Yes, we do have easy access to the airport, and so those are good things. But at a certain point, you know, when I asked these companies and, you know, we're, we're helping look for, a, you know, a new office in Atlanta, well, what drove you here? And those are the first two things that come up. I just cringe a little bit because that can't be all that it is, right? right? Or that shouldn't at least be the first two things that are listed. Because to me, that that is not a long-term competitive advantage. You know, I almost want to... Uh, you know, have like a bus tour of Atlanta for, you know, all these companies to show. There's there's so much more here. There's so many amazing reasons that you should put before those as your top two reasons to come to Atlanta. Um, and it just sounds like the work that you're doing is kind of toward that mission as well. Absolutely. We actually do do those bus tours. Really? Yeah, we do those bus tours. Um, and we, we've done those for investors because if the investor is saying, um, you know, company X, you really should go and look at Atlanta, um, then they're a lot more likely to listen to that. But I think, <laughs> you know, a lot of it is, you know, even what drew me to, to move to Atlanta, a lot of it is the quality of life. And I yeah. think that that's something with you know, if you're in San Francisco, you're in New York, you're in some of these other ecosystems, you can still build a great, you can raise there and still build a great company here and, and show that um, your money goes a little bit further here. Agree. Okay, Noelle, thanks a bunch for joining us. Um, how do any listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Sure. So um, to see an overview of the programs that we talked about today um, and a little bit more about Invest Atlanta, I would go to investatlanta.com. Um, and then contact information is listed on our website. Great. Guests, thank you so much for joining me. This is Joey Klein, and you've been listening to Tech Talk. Tech Talk.